Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Edge podcast. And today, our guest is Mark Jeffrey. He's co-founder and CEO of Guardian, but also, uh, in my opinion, one of the most uh, articulate advocates for uh, the, you know, the, the power of decentralization and the, uh, he's, I've heard him on, on a number of panels. He's incredibly insightful and uh, you know, quite, quite deft with his uh, ability to explain really complex topics in a very understandable way, and I had not realized this, but he is also a, uh, a published author with uh, eight books, I believe, to his credit. He's a Random House author, uh, so that uh, that that ex- that's ex- explains a lot about why he's such a such a fantastic communicator. But we're going to talk about his background. We're going to talk about his uh, his his company. Um, Guardian Circle, and uh, get into a whole bunch of other topics as well. So, uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. It's uh, uh, it's great to talk to you, and I, I always like to to start off the, in the discussion really with a uh, with a dive into your background and really understand you know what what it was in your background that, you know, that has ultimately led you to become a, uh, you know, co-founder and CEO of a blockchain company. Uh, well, I've been a tech CEO and or CTO for about, I don't know, 20, 25 years or so. Um, I grew up kind of like in, the, in, in my work life, I grew up during the whole internet boom of the nineties. So, um, and, and I, I was into the internet before, you know, it was hip to be under the internet. It wasn't uh, a thing yet. So we're talking 93, 94, something like that. Um, and uh, I, I actually worked at a company called Delphi Internet <laughs> back in 1994 through 95, uh, which was a very early online service, not even an ISP. So um, so long story short, I guess um, uh, going, going to where the, the next – cool big thing is uh, is something I try to do and um, and, I, and I, I've done it most of my career even with the books you mentioned I'm an author um, the way I got published was I uh, after I wrote my first novel uh, in 2004 um, I decided to podcast it so uh, I was one of the very first people on earth one of the first three to podcast a serialized novel um, you know, in that fashion. And, uh, when iTunes podcasting, when iTunes picked up podcasting, uh, I suddenly had millions of listeners, partly just because I was one of, you know, three people that had free books. It was kind of half of it. So as long as it wasn't horrible, you got an audience. So that was, I'd say that is, so when, when blockchain came along, uh, it was, it, it grabbed my attention, uh, pretty quickly. And by quickly, I mean, 2013, um, I did find out about it in 2011, and I, I discounted it because I didn't understand it yet. Um, and in 2013, I took another look at it, and all of a sudden, I, you know, the little click went off in my head, and it felt very much like the internet did in the early days when I first saw that. Um, which a lot of people have said that, and um, you know, so it, you know, I'm attracted to these things. I'm one of these people that you know, moth to the flame kind of thing, I guess. Right. Uh, so that's how I got into it. 
what are some of the 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 parallels that you see between the blockchain industry or the or the the state of the technology as it were and the internet as at you know, at at the time that you dove into it i i think the you know there are you know, we we do hear a lot of of uh of parallels drawn but would love to get your insights on on what you see that that feels like history rhyming as it were yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, the Internet democratized publishing and video and uh, and radio, <laughs> if you will. And, it, you know, you basically anyone could now publish their views online. And, uh, you know, now today you might argue that that's actually become a problem. Mm-hmm. But, but it did. But it worked. I mean, it did provide a microphone for everyone to the entire planet. And um this is demo- this is another force of democratization, uh, except this time, um, you know, the internet itself. And I, I've said this before, but the internet, you know, it, you know, Mark Andreessen likes to say the, the uh, software is eating the world, and the internet ate uh, telecommunications, media, uh, retail, and, and you know a few other things, but that's kind of it. Whereas blockchain will both democratize and eat. Uh, world money, world finance and banking, um, world law, world legal systems. And when you look at that meal, all the money in the world, when you add it all up, it's about $80 trillion. So that meal is orders of magnitudes uh, larger than what the Internet ate. So uh, this is a democratizing force that is also reshaping uh, institutions and governments this time and banks. And so I believe it will be orders of magnitude uh, more important, and also the opportunity is orders of magnitude larger in terms of dollars for those who get it right. So I'd say that's the biggest way in which it rhymes. What, in your view, are, are some of the characteristics of, of blockchain or distributed ledger technologies that that do create this disruptive breakthrough? Um, well, the biggest one is that um, you can have scarce objects, scarce digital objects, um, in a decentralized manner for the very first time. So to explain that as, uh, kind of as clearly as I can, in the old world, before blockchain, if you wanted to have decentralized objects, whether they be you know swords, magic swords in World of Warcraft, uh, or digital dollars, you had to have a centralized computer uh, that kept a ledger of who, who owned what. You know, that guy over there has got three magic swords. Uh, This guy over there has got 20 uh, Mickey dollars. Um, And there there never was a way that, but you could, you you always had to have a computer at the center. So you had to trust somebody. You had to trust that that person controlling that computer wasn't going to cheat and give their friends a lot of magic swords and you none, right? That sort of thing. Or take your sword away from you. So, um, and a lot of people were bothered by this because they, they wanted to have digital objects, but they didn't want that centralized control. So what the blockchain, uh, you know, which is the engine underneath Bitcoin provided for the first time was a decentralized kind of Napster-like um, scarce digital object universe. And the first application of that, uh, the first obvious application of that's money, because money is there's only so many dollars in the world. There's only so much gold in the world. So it makes sense that, you know, replacing money uh, in this decentralized fashion is the first place you can go. But there's a lot of other places, uh, title deeds to uh, houses and boats and cars. Uh, those are scarce digital objects. Baseball cards are scarce digital objects. Pokemon and 
Um, you know, Magic the Gathering cards are scarce digital objects. So there really are a, 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 a giant amount of things you can do with this. Um, and almost as a side effect, there are two other characteristics um, of blockchain that also make this incredibly disruptive. One is immutability. A lot of you've heard people talk about that. And that basically means that um, the, the record of what happened uh, that is preserved in the blockchain, uh, in the case of money, uh, who transferred how many dollars to whom, is unchangeable. No, Even though this record is distributed and everyone's got a copy, nobody can, uh, can go and change it. There is absolutely no way to do that, um, which is amazing. We've never invented anything like this as a race. This is the first time we've had something where truth is provable. And, you know, everyone can agree on a version of events uh, because it's mathematically provable that it's true. That's a very new thing. Um, you know, then the, the other so you can have evidence, for example, that's presentable in court where nobody can argue about whether it happened or not, because, you know, it's on the blockchain. It definitely happened. Um, another side effect of this would be you could create perfect voting. So no more arguments about where whether the votes were tampered with. Uh, in those diebold machines, we would know there would be no argument about those things anymore. So, um, you know, that those the, that combined those characteristics are something very new on the face of planet Earth. We have never had this before. So it is insanely disruptive in these ways. What, in your views, are you know some of the more viable use cases, at, at least in the near term? I think uh, you've, you've already mentioned cryptocurrencies as really as in, in many respects, it's the you know it, it is it is the you know the production app on on blockchains, and uh, I, I think it is it's also instructive that the need for scarcity in you know multi massive multiplayer online gaming was sort of an area where you know Brock Pierce who's one of the you know thought big thought leaders and evangelists of the space really uh, you know built quite quite enough uh, quite some extensive businesses but you know as you, as you as you look to the app, you know the applications you know of the technology you know what what do you see as I would say areas of uh, paths of least resistance, at, at least in, in, in the near term. Um, well, I think I do think in the near term that um, digital money, but a different, different from what you're thinking is the, the first batch of applications that we'll see. Let me explain what I mean. So um, if you create a form of digital currency for use within a specific um, ecosystem, the early participants in that ecosystem, um, if they are paid in this um, token and hold on to it, and the ecosystem then expands, um, then those tokens go up in value commensurate with the expansion of the entire ecosystem. So the early participants in that ecosystem can reap outsized rewards. So the quality of money is different. Um, it acts, you know, people compare it to stock. It is not stock, but it acts like stock in that it can appreciate. There are other things that are not stock that appreciate also, like houses and cars, um, you know, property, uh, digital objects inside of World of Warcraft, that sort of thing. So it, it's sort of like it is that class of thing. It's an asset. Now, um, you know, for example, and a, and a very good example of this would be um, Uber is nothing without its drivers. Airbnb is nothing without its hosts. Airbnb knows this, and Airbnb very recently asked the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, for a way to give their hosts stock, equity. 
um, because they realize that really those are the you know those are the people doing ninety percent of the work that provide you know ninety percent of the value for Airbnb. And yet, because they're not employees and there's no structure to uh, award them stock, they cannot participate in the wild appreciation um, of the ecosystem. Uh, the following week after Airbnb asked for this from the SEC, Uber asked for the exact same thing. And as we've seen, the world of uh, the SEC, especially in the United States, this will probably never happen. I have zero faith in that happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, token-based ecosystems where you have a situation where you have um, you know, the end users are in some sense also co-owners, like with Uber drivers and Airbnb hosts, um, you'll see new ecosystems arise where those uh, worker participants uh, are now using tokens and reaping outside rewards. So again, the quality of the money is different. It's not like a normal dollar. The fact that it's not stable is in fact a feature, not a bug. Yeah, it's it's been quite remarkable in the last 18 months when we saw the really the explosion of, of all of these tokens, no matter how they're defined, whether securities or uh, or utilities as becoming this tradable or speculative asset in the market, uh, you know, we, we saw quite a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of creativity, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of scams, uh, a lot of uh, uh, irrational exuberance, of course, that's, that's correcting. Yeah. But what, what do you think we've learned so far in the last, uh, let's go in back just to, uh, to 2017, when we had this explosion of of assets, is there um, do you, is is there a, a formula that will work for these assets, or uh, do you think we're still in a uh, really in a period of of you know continual like experimentation until until we are, are able to hit on a few things that work? Um, well, I think I think what happened. So we absolutely just had a period of irrational exuberance, um, which happens in every market. It happened in the in the in the early internet. We saw that in the '90s, right, with the dot com bubble. The dot com bubble uh, was about seven trillion dollars uh, that was then wiped out. <laughs> uh, by comparison, I mean we've only seen the crypto market go up to about six hundred billion. So it's a fraction of what um, the dot-com bubble was. So, um, but I, I, and I, we also saw a lot of bad companies uh, or projects or whatever you want to call them or outright scams come out of nowhere and, and basically take a lot of people's money. And that was obviously not good. That's bad. We no, nobody wants to see that. So, um, but however, I think a lot of people got burned by that. And I think the, uh, the people who are investing in tokens have now learned a lesson and they're smarter this time. And I think they're, you know, they, they are not rushing to just invest in anything right now. And that's good. Uh, they've all learned a lesson. Uh, some people learn that lesson with houses and real estate. Some people learn it with uh, gambling, right? So it's, it's not the only class of thing that people can learn this hard lesson with. So uh, I think that uh, the other thing that's happening is, is that um, a lot of the activity in this space has moved out of the United States and is now centering itself overseas. Um, it's kind of like inverse Silicon Valley, where the core of the activity is everywhere but Silicon Valley, uh, and, and not just Silicon Valley, outside the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, an unfortunate side effect is the rest of the world is learning about this and iterating and, and being more creative faster than we are. Um, and that's going to put the United States at a significant disadvantage 
uh, in the coming years. So uh, this because this thing is global, uh, worldwide, and there's so much enthusiasm for it from uh, you know from people all over the world, uh, it's not going to go away. So the question is how to embrace it. And I think there's some you know there is a middle ground where we have enough regulation where um, you know the scammers and the outright horrible people are caught early and prevented from doing their dirty work. And yet there is a fertile ground for new ideas and experimentation to occur within, as well as um, outsized rewards for average non-accredited investors. That piece of the puzzle needs to be preserved somehow. That's part of the attraction of this world. And we're also seeing, as I said before, the Uber and Airbnb, there's a need to give unaccredited investors a shot at um, owning a small piece of these expanding ecosystems. Right now, there is no viable way for them to do that. But the token world will provide it. I don't believe, by the way, I don't believe very strongly in the security token. A lot of people are talking about security tokens right now. Uh, there are zero security token exchanges. Uh, there are zero security tokens listed on CoinMarketCap. So at this moment in history, um, they are phantoms. <laughs> they are theoretical. Um, there, there are people who, own, who have created security tokens uh, and who own them, but there's no liquidity. Um, and we don't know yet whether they'll quote unquote work as advertised. Um, that said, um, there is one security token, uh, the next token for the next ne uh, NEO-based digital exchange uh, that just <laughs> went live for trading on Affiliate. And anyone anywhere on earth, that's another decentralized exchange that competes with Max. So the next security token is freely available on the Affiliate decentralized exchange, which means anyone on earth, accredited or not, with a KYC, you know, not KYC, can go buy a security token right now on a decentralized exchange. So if security tokens work, I, I think they'll end up sort of being like utility tokens in that they'll be uncontrollable. So that's what, it, that's at least that's where it seems like it's going right now. Yeah, it's it's clearly a challenge for regulators, and I know the U.S. at, at least at this point has uh, taken a very slow, but but ultimately a uh, a non-constructive approach for the for the industry here in the U.S. Uh, at least I. I we don't know obviously how this is all going to pan out, but it sounds uh, it sounds to me like the 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 center of gravity has really shifted outside of the outside of the U.S., which at least is a sh at this point is a shame. Yeah, that is absolutely a mistake. No question about it. I will say that the SEC has done no has really done no harm. Mm -hmm. uh, they they have uh, been in many ways very reasonable. So I should probably say that also. They could have brought the hammer down on this whole thing, um, which would have been the worst response possible. Um, they didn't. They've had a very prudent and sober approach to it. So they've done no harm, but they've, all, they've also done no good. And they've also been sort of spooky and uh, to legitimate entrepreneurs and legitimate projects. And, uh, and they have not provided clarity. So uh, it, they kind of got a C average in my book. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they certainly are are trying to walk a line and, and balance the uh, the need to be a bit more clear with uh, with guidance with uh, as well not trying to stay out of the way of innovation. And it's uh, it's, it's certainly a tough, uh, t a tough balance to achieve. And I guess the way they've the way they've approached it is to uh, to to be a lot slower than most people would like for for specific guardrails. Um, 
I'd like to turn to, to your company and uh, understand a bit of the, uh, the, the drivers, the, the opportunity, the business problem that led you to, uh, to found Guardian Circle. Yeah, so um, Guardian Circle is the name of the company and the app. Um, and and uh, the token is called Guard, uh, or the symbol's Guard. The token is called Guardian. So together, all of that creates something we call global decentralized emergency response. So global 911, basically. So the problem is that um, for 6 billion, 6 billion people on Earth, um, emergency response services are either non-existent uh, corrupt or inefficient. So uh, for most people on Earth, there's just there's no magic number you can call when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, for the rest of us, there's the billion of us that do have a 911 system. Here in the States, it's antiquated. It basically has not been updated since 1968. So if you call 911 from your mobile device, they have no idea where you are, none. So if you don't know where you are and you can't tell them, you can't get help, which is just, that's just crazy. It's just insane that Uber can find me more easily than 911. So our thought on this is we should just start from scratch. If you were building 911 today, what would you build? And our answer is the way the world should work is no matter where you are on Earth, whenever you're in trouble, all you should have to do is press a button. Button sends an alert up to the cloud. Cloud looks down and sees what people and resources are already near you. But then activates, coordinates, and pushes all that help to you as quickly as possible. So our goal is get 10 people to you within three minutes, anywhere on the globe. So who are these people? Well, starts with your friends, family, and neighbors. They're on your emergency alert grid. Uh, but it also looks for nearby EMTs, uh, nearby people who are good Samaritans, nearby people who have equipment, depending on what the situation is. If you're in a situation like you know a hurricane in Texas, you want someone with a boat, like what the Cajun Navy provided uh, during the Texas hurricanes about a year and a year and a half ago. So this new uh, mobile uh, location-aware emergency grid is is what we've built. And we actually have apps up and running right now, unlike a lot of projects. We actually have apps in the App Store uh, on iOS, Android, and Amazon Alexa, so we have a voice version. We also have an API that allows any device provider to plug their alert device into our grid. Uh, and the coin, where the coin comes in, Guardian, is there's basically seven ways in which it's used. I'm only going to talk about two or three because the rest will just take a while. Um, the, the obvious and, and biggest way is that responders, whenever you have an alert, after your alert is over, we give you a list of everyone who responded to your alert. And that could be your friends, family, neighbors. Hopefully they responded because they love you. Um, but also the nearby EMTs, the nearby Good Samaritans, they're also listed. And you basically decide how much Guardium you want to give each one of them, depending on how much they, they participated or benefited you during your response. You hit a button, you send, it's basically like a tip, and you send it out to them. And this is how people can earn Guardium by responding to an alert. Now, in America, that probably doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're in most of the world, that is everything. That's just, it's crazy that they've never had this before. So uh, in some sense, Guardium now becomes safety. The more guard you're able to offer for your alerts to, you know, the bigger reward pile you have, the more help you're able to attract. So that's the first way in which Guardium is used. The other big way is... Um, if you are a device provider, so let's say you are 
Um, you're, you're the iPhone. Let's say you're Philips with the iPhone and can't get up device. Let's say you're uh, a car. You, you've got a CarPlay device in your car and you have crash detection. There's a ton of different devices I could bring up. Those manufacturers can plug their devices into Guardian Circle by buying Guardian and staking it in a wallet. And by staking just means locking it up in a wallet. So for each guard that you hold, you can add one device. So one guard equals one device. So if you have a million guard, you can add a million devices to our grid. And the idea is, um, and then you, you know, normally when you, when you uh, use an API, it's a per seat per month fee. Um, we don't do that. We just say buy and hold guard. Uh, you can then use our API for free forever, so long as you have that guard. And at some point in the future, you may decide you may decide to sell that guard. And if we all do our jobs and the ecosystem grows, um, hopefully that guard will be worth a lot more than it was when you bought it. So you might actually make a profit for using by using our API. Hmm. So that's that's the basic design of the ecosystem. So are you focusing on adoption or building networks uh, in areas where there traditionally have not been uh, first responders or, or 911 systems? Yeah, that will that will probably be our first target. We, we actually have made a, a final decision on that. Um, I, I can tell you this. We will have new versions of our app that are significantly enhanced from the ones that are out now. Uh, those will be available in January of 2019. Uh, we will release them worldwide in several languages for both iOS and Android. Um, however, we will focus our marketing efforts uh, and our you know boots on the ground efforts uh, in one specific geography, uh, probably a city. Um, and we have a couple candidates for that, but we haven't announced which one we're going to pick just yet. Um, you know, some some of the cities we're considering are New Delhi, India, uh, Mexico City. Uh, Puerto Rico, <laughs> so even though it's part of the United States, it's a part of the United States that's been sort of neglected with uh, respect to emergency services. Uh, and there's a few other places we're looking at as well, um, as well as we have uh, two very large partners that uh, we're, we're talking with about API deals. If we uh, land one of them before our launch date, we may decide to roll out uh, more strongly with them. So it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a bit up in the air right now, but we should know soon. All right, that's no, that's very exciting, and and I know you've been very, uh, you know, very vocal about about the uh, the, the the need and and really the uh, the 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 lack of of uh, ability to connect people uh, globally to to services around emergencies. So it's just, uh, it, it's it's an ex, it's an exciting project. Um, I, I I know you've also spoken about working on. Uh, Neo, and there's been a lot of discussion in uh, in the industry about uh, you know the Ethereum blockchain, which was really the the uh, which has essentially pioneered the you know the concept or the vision around smart contracts. But a lot of the criticism has been uh, the throughput, the scalability to be able to stand applications up on the uh, on on the main net and and have a large volume. Uh, be processed. Um, you work with uh, Neo, and I know you're pretty familiar with EOS. Could you talk about some of the uh, the innovations that you see in the market that that are are most significant to uh, really to advance mainstream adoption of of applications such as yours that are that are being built on 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 blockchains? Yes. So it is the uh, <laughs> the age old Ethereum versus EOS versus Neo question. And it is a very big question, and, um, and there, there's a lot of opinions on that. I can tell you where I stand is is here. 
Um, I don't believe Ethereum will ever scale. I think Ethereum is MySpace. It was an absolutely brilliant uh, first wave proof of concepts, uh, never been done before thing. Um, but then it is a victim of its own success. And uh, I believe at the moment there are too many engineers with too many differing ideas about how to scale it, squabbling, and there is no iron fist dictator-like ruler. Vitalik is not going to do it, uh, which unfortunately I think it needs in order to move forward at this point in its history. So I, I think it's going to uh, – I don't think we're going to see it scale. In the meantime, uh, there are two blockchains which are proven to scale today. One of them is EOS. EOS can do 6,000 transactions per second. Uh, it has sub-second transaction speed, which is it's just blazingly fast. It's like a Google search. Um, we've never seen a blockchain do this. Uh, there was also an article that came out over the weekend, however, pointing out that EOS achieves this by essentially cheating, which is true. Uh, and that is my understanding of how it works. Uh, it essentially keeps two sets of books. So you have the blockchain where uh, transactions are eventually written to about 106 seconds after they are initiated. Uh, in the interim, they are kept in a, Mongo, a distributed Mongo database that all the block producers keep uh, in sync and up to date with each other. So really, when you're interacting with EOS, you're not interacting with the blockchain at all. You're interacting with this distributed Mongo, um, which makes it super fast. Um, so I think, uh, now, is that a cheat? Does that mean it's not a blockchain? You know, is it a blockchain with a caching layer? Or is it effectively a database with a blockchain as its logging uh, afterthought? <laughs> it's debatable. Depends on you know you know how you want to frame that. So I don't know. I can tell you it works though. So a lot of there's a lot of Ethereum projects, and the the, the main the main uh, trend I'm seeing right now is a defection from Ethereum over to EOS because of this blinding speed. Mm -hmm. um, in the Neo universe, Neo has long been a very scalable and fast blockchain. Uh, its average transaction time is between 5 and 15 seconds. However, it is a real blockchain. There's no argument about that. And the transactions are final after 15 seconds, for sure, uh, or whenever the block is completed. Um, and it can do about 1,000 transactions per second. We've seen that. So, um, And they say they're going to be able to do 10,000 transactions per second very soon, and the architecture allows for it to do millions of transactions per, uh, per second uh, eventually which I also believe is, is probably true. It's true of both EOS and NEO uh, with their present architectures. Um, however, uh, NEO has stumbled a little bit in recent uh, months. Uh, they've, it's come to light that there's a, a Byzantine fault tolerance issue uh, and some stability issues with the nodes. However, NEO appears to be attacking that problem um, vigorously. They're hiring engineers like crazy. There's about 40 engineers, to my knowledge, working on NEO versus about four working on EOS. So, you know, NEO definitely has the advantage there. The other thing NEO has is a, a very rich set of tools um, for uh, developers to connect their applications to the NEO blockchain. So getting back to your original question, because I'm sorry I had to take that long for me to get back to it. Um, for, for Guardian Circle, we can build a very integrated um, cryptocurrency experience into Guardian Circle we can have a Guardian wallet in the app. We can have all kinds of Guardian-related operations uh, buried very deeply in the normal operations of Guardian Circle only because we're on the NEO platform. If we were on the EOS platform, we would have to use an exterior wallet like Lynx. Um, and you asked what I thought was very exciting in the EOS universe. Right now, it's EOS Lynx. 
Uh, it is EOS Lynx sort of makes up for a lot of the deficiencies of EOS in terms of developer tools by allowing DAP uh, people who make DAPs to plug their DAP directly into the Lynx wallet. You don't have to write your own wallet. Um, and, and frankly, it's very hard to write your own wallet in the EOS universe because the primitives and the, the raw tools just don't exist yet like they do in the Neo universe. So, um, however, EOS does a lot of really cool things. So it's very grandma end user easy to use. Um, it's they're, They've said that they're releasing a decentralized exchange built directly into the wallet and a DAP store built directly into the wallet. So the EOS Lynx wallet will be the hub of everything you do in the EOS universe, um, which is a very different way of looking at it. Neo, I don't think will ever operate that way, uh, but I do like that vision. It's just very different from how Neo does it. And frankly, we're dealing with people, you know, my, my audience for Guardian Circle are, you know, our grandma and, and people in the developing world who may or may not know about crypto. I need to make sure that I don't require them to know about crypto. Uh, they may think of Guardian and Guard as just points within the system, and that's just fine. And uh, if they know they're looking at, at cryptocurrency and they're like, oh, wow, I want to export this to a exchange, they can do it. We have a fully featured wallet in the app. Uh, but if they don't know that it's crypto, they, they should never have to figure that out if they don't want to. Yeah, it was uh, the whole concept of the wallet and, and, and the UI is is super important. Uh, when uh, I interviewed Fred Krueger for the podcast, it was, I guess it was just a couple of weeks before the uh, EOS Lynx launch in August, which uh, I believe I, I, you were there and, and, and I was there as well. And yep. now as, as we speak, I think it is just, uh, they've just passed 16,000 users. So it's, it's pretty exciting to see the, uh, the, the ex, ex, really the accelerating adoption there of, uh, of, of, of users. Um, I'd like to broaden the topic a bit just to address some of the usability issues around around crypto and and you know, Fred had really highlighted the uh, the you know the the wallet and and security but I'd like to get your take uh, as well around uh, you know what are some innovations that you believe are necessary in the in the ecosystem so that we can start to see the uh, approximately 70 million people globally that now hold some or other form of crypto increase to potentially billions? Well, I think, um, you know, I, for all of these coins like Ethereum and EOS and NEO, they're only as valuable as the apps uh, that are built on top of them. They're sort of like operating systems in that respect, right? So, if you if you can have Microsoft Windows, but without Microsoft Office, you know, and Microsoft Word and Excel, it's you know, Windows is kind of worthless without those things, right? So, uh, in the same way, we need to see legitimate apps arise. Now, we are starting to see them arise in the EOS universe. They're just all gambling apps. So, like you know, right now, ninety percent of what's happening in EOS is gambling, and the reason why it's so effective is because it's so fast. You can keep pulling the lever real quickly, one one after you know, one after the other. You keep rolling the dice. And um, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. The internet started the same way. It started with porn and gambling. That was the two killer apps of the internet in the early days. So that's okay. It's I don't think that's a horrible thing. So, um, but I think that in order for there to be you know the Amazon and Google like app uh, equivalents in the blockchain space, uh, there need to be uh, really easy to use on and off off ramps for fiat to tokens. So, for example, in my universe in Guardian Circle, 
I need a really easy way inside of my app for my users to purchase more Guardian. Uh, just swipe a credit card, more Guardian appears. That should just be a real simple and easy thing anyone can do. Right now, that's very difficult because of the legal and regulatory uh, environment surrounding crypto uh, in the United States. Uh, and, and frankly, elsewhere as well. It's not just the United States problem. So, you know, once there are, and also frankly, once people own Guardian inside of Guardian Circle, they need a way to convert it back into dollars very easily. So uh, there's no technical reason why that can't be done today, like super easily. Uh, it's strictly a legal banking and regulatory issue. So, um, so that needs to get cleared up. And I don't know uh, how that happens quickly. Um, I do know that there are some attempts in the NEO universe to provide that. Uh, there's, there's a company called Spotcoin, which uh, has promised to have a fiat to uh, NEO token, NEO token to fiat uh, service up and running by December of this year. So we're just a month or two away from seeing that. Um, they have not talked yet about providing an API to people like me, but I think it's got to be all you know, contained inside of the wallet somehow. So Fred probably, Fred is, I think, approaching this problem through a stablecoin intermediary. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, just your your views on the uh, the current. I mean, the stablecoins are are uh, getting an enormous amount of attention these days, and would would love to get your your thoughts on the potential utility and and some of the uh, some of the promises and and misperceptions around you know around the potential for stablecoins. Yeah, I well, I I do share the enthusiasm for stablecoins. I think they're absolutely. Uh, the excitement is is legitimate, and should be, we should be excited about them. Um, they basically they do provide an on and off ramp for fiat currency in the digital universe. So I know that you know there, there are banks now that will uh, actually uh, you know they will cut they will white label the production of a stable coin to you. So if you want to create your own stable coin, you can. The bank will take care of the fiat on and off ramps for you. Um, and then once you have that stable coin, that stable coin can then be converted into your token very easily. So that is one possible way around this whole mess is just have stable coins in the middle and, you know, obfuscate that from the end user as much as possible so they don't have to think about it. Um, so that, that is, that is absolutely one way to go. Uh, Tether has long been the, the stable coin of, you know, the go-to stable coin in the crypto universe, but there have been a lot of questions about whether Tether actually holds the number of dollars they say they do to, you know, to back up the Tether tokens that are out there. So, you know, that, that seems to be failing at the moment. Um, so there been, that, has opened the, that has opened the gateways for a number of other competing stablecoins. So I, I do think, you know, I think like anything, there'll be like 100 of these stablecoins and then there'll be like three. <laughs> right. So I think at last count, I saw that uh, somebody had counted up about 73 different projects. And I know there's some there's some interesting ones. There's out the algorithmically defined stable coins. There are asset backed stable coins. Uh, I heard a presentation by by Reserve last week in in the city. It was kind of interesting. They put together this hybrid of a of a fiat fiat and crypto basket-backed stablecoin. But uh, it, it, was, it was interesting to see a pretty savvy New York audience uh, just not really get it. So, I, you know, we'll see. I think it's great to see all this experimentation. Yeah, it is. And I think you're right. They're, the, the different ways of creating a stablecoin uh, are, are pretty interesting. I've heard of another 
there's another group. I don't know if I, I don't want to out them, but they, um, cause I don't know if this is confidential or not, but, uh, there is a well-known group that is uh, proposing to do a, an African stable coin based on phone minutes. So the phone minutes are what back the stable coin. So pretty interesting. That's uh, pretty amazing. Well, I guess in, if you think about certain countries in East Africa, uh, I, I heard a statistic that about 50 percent of commerce get in, in Kenya gets conducted over M-Pesa, which yes. is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Phone minutes are now currency. And it's yeah. just the phone minutes directly. Never mind the stable coin. The phone minutes directly. So because th those are, you know, that is something of value, that's an asset-backed stable coin now. So, Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, really fascinating. So, you know, as, as you look, let, let, maybe just to, uh, as, as you've dealt with, uh, you know, the, the regulatory environment in the U.S. Um, and globally, are there any regions or, or countries that you, you believe are uh, you know, have a, a particularly constructive view. I know we're starting to see a number of uh, a, a number of you know, small locations. Malta is dubbing themselves as Blockchain Island, and you've got in Puerto Rico the you know Puertopia initiative to to try to attract investment there, and, and Mauritius and, uh, and uh, Gibraltar and a number of others. Uh, anything jump out at you as a as particularly promising or potentially viable for uh, companies to incorporate and and be attractive to institutional investors? Yeah, I um, so I, I, like you probably, I'm hearing an awful lot about Malta. Malta seems to have grabbed the crown. I think I think there's 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 there is a consensus building that Malta is the place you want to be. Um, I haven't been there myself, so I can't speak to that directly. I have been to Gibraltar directly, and I was pretty impressed with what I saw there. It was very clear that the government of Gibraltar really, really, really wanted to be at the center of the blockchain revolution. So because the United States is sort of fumbling the ball, these other countries have, have, have seen the, you know, basically seen that they can become the next Silicon Valley uh, if they basically, you know, pick that fumbled ball up <laughs> before, before the United States realizes uh, how bad of a fumble it was. And uh, so these people, these places are scrambling uh, to be the leader of the pack. Cayman Islands is another one, obviously. Um, I, 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 you know, I hear some. Sometimes I hear a lot about Switzerland. I've heard less about that recently. Um, Puerto Rico. The problem with Puerto Rico is it's part of the United States, so it is, you know, just by default subject to the wrong laws. Uh, Wyoming is also very promising in the United States, uh, but again, it's in the United States. However, I, I, I would, I would, if I were going to do something in the United States, I would do it in Wyoming, uh, because the state of Wyoming um, is dead set against, um, you know, they're dead set on seeing utility tokens thrive and survive and do well. So they, they're going to fight. The state of Wyoming is going to fight this battle with you if the SEC decides to sort of do something really crazy. So, um, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I do think it's not going to happen in the U S yeah. Singapore is another place I hear a lot about as well. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's funny how much, uh, at least ICO pitches and fundraising have moved to South Korea at this point. I, I had heard a statistic that about 40% of the population of, of South Korea owns crypto and, and the dynamics being so, so funny that you actually have printed magazines for the, all the grandmothers that hold crypto that, you know, that don't, don't even spend a lot of time on, uh, on, on the internet, but it's, uh, 
I'll tell you one story I heard about South Korea was you're right. 40% of the population holds crypto, which is amazing. And the reason why is because South Korea grew up playing video games. They understand digital assets. Like, it's not a weird new thing. It's just, oh, yeah, of course. So uh, their version of the SEC, uh, the, their head guy, initially stood up and said, you know what? We're going to ban this cryptocurrency thing. It's bad. And, uh, and people started rioting outside of his house. And he got so stressed out that he died. Huh. <laughs> I've heard this story from a couple of different people, but um, and so so the new guy that came in basically said, "Okay, we're gonna we're going to allow crypto. It's, it's, we're, we're going to not uh, squash it." So yeah, South Korea <laughs> is very serious about crypto. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to look look forward and prognosticate a bit. I think what's so interesting about this, you know, the rise of these blockchain enabled. Uh, companies and organizations, potentially decentralized organizations, is that there's this there's this theme that many people talk about as, as really Internet 3.0 and uh, really the, the the rise of a new generation of um, you know, 15 to 20 years from now, we may have the Amazons or Googles of, of the next generation that are that are being developed in some garage right now. But, I, you know, as you look forward, I'd like to get a sense of, of you know, what what are you most optimistic about uh, in terms of the, you know, the the, the real impact, uh, societal impact and, and, and economic impact and and what keeps you up at night? Um, I, I, like you, uh, probably, I, I, I do believe that the next Amazons and Googles and you know, the great companies of the future are, are in their infancy and being founded right now. And they are definitely blockchain based and they're very likely not inside the United States. Um, what I worry about is, um, unlike the original Amazon and Google and those companies, it's almost like we've all got snipers shooting at us while we're trying to do this. Uh, snipers in the form of banks and governments uh, to varying degrees. Um, and, you know, the, we have very powerful interests that do not want to see this new world succeed. Um, however, this is a zeitgeist and, and sort of a, uh, a movement, if you will, that is coming from the people of every country on Earth. Um, so I don't know that it probably can't be resisted um, ultimately, but I think it's going to be a little bloodier than the original um, Internet boom was, mm. uh, because I think the, I think that we'll see some governments and some regulations and some banks just crush some of these people and projects out of existence along the way. It will ultimately triumph, but I think it'll take a little bit longer maybe than it, it should. Just because there's there's this headwind blowing into it that it wasn't there for the original internet. Yeah, you you definitely uh, didn't have to fight the entrenched banks or financial regulatory protected uh, financial systems when you were selling pet food online or or books online, as it were, where your competition is is you know bricks and mortar stores. It, it is just a it is a very different dynamic, and of course, one can never uh, you know underestimate the the power of inertia and the uh, the intent of entrenched interests to protect their the frictions that allow them to extract value out of the economy that can be allocated in in potentially a much more transparent way over time that's uh that's going to take a lot of work so um anyway i wanted to just ask uh just from you 
see a lot of uh, interesting companies and and uh, and pitches and and uh, what are some of the projects or, or or companies that that stand out to you that that are that you're most excited about? Well, I, I mean, uh, definitely what Fred Krueger is doing with EOS Links. We talked about that, but I, I am continually blown away uh, by how fast and how far. Um, he's advanced that whole wallet slash Dex slash, you know, pretty much everything to do with coin. Um, you know, he's basically creating a new browser. So I think he is in some sense the new Netscape. Um, and I, I, I applaud him for everything that he's doing. Uh, on the Neo side of the fence, sort of his opposite number in the Neo universe is the Neon wallet. Um, and there's and the new version of which comes out today. <laughs> so oh. uh, it'll be up. It's been in, it's been in the works. There's been about 40 developers working on it for about a year. So we don't we've seen screenshots of it, but we don't know all the features. But it looks like it, it'll probably be the equivalent of what uh, Fred has built in EOS Links, just on the on the Neo side of the fence. We'll see. And supposedly it's going to be up up and uh, released today. So uh, so yeah, I think really for right now, those are the two things that really are exciting me. I haven't seen. You know the the other DApps that are succeeding right now are are sort of gambling things mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and crypto kitties <laughs> type things to a certain extent. Um, not much else has yet has succeeded yet. So I I, I remain you know I, I'm very hopeful that it will. Um, and obviously I think what we're doing is is simple enough that it's got a shot at succeeding. But you know it'll be difficult for us to get adoption nonetheless. It always is. So. Um, so, you know, we got we got a good year, we got a good, good couple of years ahead of us before we yeah. start getting exponential growth if we if we are able to get it going. So. No doubt, no doubt. So, um, no, this has been really fascinating to to hear your your views on uh, on the landscape and uh, a lot of the work that you're focused on. Uh, I always like to uh, conclude our our podcast with a, a recommendation of a of, of a book or resource, and uh, of course, we, you know, we will absolutely put some um uh put links to to your books as well and i don't know if there's there's any one of your books that you feel particularly strong about but uh would love to get your uh your your thoughts on uh what might be a good recommendation for our listeners yeah i I got a couple of things so there's a podcast called cryptonomics by a guy named mark pesci spelled p-e-s-c-e um and uh he by the way is one of the guys who invented vermal virtual reality Mali language back in the early internet. Wow. Um, he now is covering crypto. He's a really, really great podcaster. Um, so I highly recommend his series of podcasts. There's a new movie uh, coming out, uh, at least premiering here in LA in about two weeks called Trust Machine. Uh, and that is done by a guy named Alex Winter, um, who is, if you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he's Bill. Oh. <laughs> so he's now a director and he's done several really great documentaries. He got Rosario Dawson to narrate it, so it's you know it's kind of big stuff, um, and it's all about it's all about blockchain. So uh, we are we're in the movie along with about eight other folks that are doing various things in the blockchain space. Um, but I, I've seen enough of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen enough of it. It's really good, so highly recommend that. Um, my books are I got one called uh, there's two of them in the blockchain. One is called Bitcoin Explained Simply. I wrote it in 2013, so it's a little bit dated. Uh, it's still correct, but you just realize it's a little bit old at this point. And then another one in 2015 called The Case for Bitcoin, which is a prognostication kind of look to the future. Here's what's going to happen kind of book. 
and uh, some of it's already happened, and it's, so far it's correct. So thank God, I was <laughs> thank God it's still it's holding up. <laughs> it's all it's always nice when you look back and and you uh, you you have that validation that you were on the right track. Yes. Yep. So so far so good. So and uh, and of course I hope you download Guardian Circle. And the apps are out on iOS, Android, and Alexa. So absolutely, absolutely, and 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 we'll uh, we'll we'll put put a link to that as well. Well, well, Mark, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, you know, fascinating as, as always to listen to your insights. Uh, and I just want to thank you again for you know for taking the time to to do the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ed. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.